The Hebrew Bible gives us this story from Amos. It's seventh chapter, the seventh verse. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line and a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go flee away from the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, says the Lord, your wife shall become a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be parceled out by line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land. And Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Now the 10th chapter of Luke in the 25th verse is a story that we know as the Good Samaritan. Nowhere in the Bible does the words Good Samaritan appear, but that's what we call it. And I was trying to be smart and creative and faithful to this text, and so I read a whole lot about this, and I listened to more sermons than I've ever listened to before, and all of them say this is not a story just about doing good to your neighbor. It's far more than that, but when you dig deep into what they say about what far more than that is, almost none of them tell you. So... We'll do our best with this text and see how it goes. But like many parables of Jesus, there is much to be unearthed here. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? 
And the scribe answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them, and then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Then the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the scribe said, the one who showed him mercy, or some say kindness. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the story of the Good Samaritan in the Bible, we think, to teach us to be good to our neighbors. Now I remind you that John Douglas Hall, who is a great professor, said actually this story is the essence of Christianity. It's not just being kind to the person next to you. And it's also not just about feeling guilty when you pass the panhandlers down here at Perkins. There's something far more to this story of the Good Samaritan. But latching on to what that is, is difficult. We know, for example, in this story that we are not supposed to act like the religious people. Yeah, you know how the religious folks are, right? They did a study with a bunch of seminary students not too long ago. And they said to them, you have to make a grand presentation in front of your dissertation committee about the parable of the Good, Shepherd, Good Samaritan. And it's clear across town. And we're doing this to see how you can act impromptu on a Bible text. How you'll be able to pick up a text if somebody comes and asks you what it's about. So look at it now. You have five minutes to look at it and then head across the way 
to the building clear across campus. But it was a setup, see, because the people who set up this study put a man who was sick and ailing and looked like he was part of the homeless poor right in their way. They couldn't get to this other building without crossing by this man. And he would panhandle and he would show them a wound and he would fake fake his sickness, but it was pretty good fake. And guess what happened? These brilliant young scholars rushing across the way to be judged on a presentation. On the text about people who stop for those who are ill, didn't stop. Almost none of them even stopped to speak to the man. One guy even walked right over him to get to where he was going. See, there's something about this text that reminds us what we know. We all know we're supposed to be kind to one another. We all know we're supposed to be good to the people that we encounter. We all know that. Our mothers taught us that since the time we were little. Did you see these kids? They know what kindness is. They know how to treat their peers and their siblings well. We just don't always do it. But there's something more here than just being nice to one another or a reminder that we need to because we know that. I've got another example. There was a man standing on a subway platform with his two small children. They were four and six, so to give you perspective, that's Cruz and Kendall's age, roughly. He had two daughters. He was with, they were with him on the platform, and the person beside him had a seizure and fell into whatever that's called, where the tracks were. And the man jumped down into that pit trying to save the other man. But he couldn't pull him out of the way in time because he saw the train coming. So instead, he laid the man in between the tracks and then laid on top of him. Now, mind you, this is someone they'd never met. They were just strangers standing on a subway platform. This man who would become a hero was standing next to his two small children. So he didn't need to be reminded that he was a dad. And he laid on top of the stranger. He was so close to the train that grease from it streaked his shirt. When the train had passed and finally stopped, man yelled up to the people up above, tell those two little girls that their daddy's okay. He saved a stranger. And he did it on a whim like that. He didn't need to be reminded. He didn't need to grasp that knowledge somehow. There wasn't time for any of that. 
So I read this great, great sermon from this Methodist pastor who said, so we all know what the greater story here is in the Good Samaritan because we as Methodists are people who know that our hearts have to be strangely warm. So the, the issue is, don't look at me funny because you're going to get this, the issue is that we've got to move it out of our heads into our hearts and we as good Methodists can understand that. That's funny. You should be laughing right now. That's ridiculous. That can't be it. That can't be it. It's got to be more than that. Do you know the kind nutrition bars? I was going to call them candy bars, but they're not candy bars. They're nuts and fruit and that kind of kind things. The guy who started that company is a gazillionaire. He grew up in Mexico and has become an American citizen. But the reason he ended, his family migrated to Mexico was because his father was a Jew, a German Jew who was in the camp during the Holocaust. And his father said, we must always give back to the people around us because of all the things that have happened in my life, the thing I remember most are those who, was, who were kind to me. That's why kind bars are named kind. One of the things that we know about people who are great givers is that most of them have a reason in their life that they give. Something has happened in their life that has propelled them to do good. Example, a young boy who has an alcoholic father but is taken in by a scoutmaster who teaches him how to grow up and be a man and be a good person and to give back. And because of the relationship that the two of them have, then he wants to give to others, becomes a teacher and helps children. Usually, people who give have something in their life that propels them to. And see, here's where I think the more of this story comes. As Christians, we have been given the greatest gift of all. The gift of life. The gift of rebirth. The gift of forgiveness of our sins that leads us to a place of gratitude. Here's the thing. The scribe in this story, when he asks, who is the neighbor, knows the answer. 
anyone who studied scripture in those days would have known that the text that he quotes, which is Deuteronomy 6, tells him who the neighbor is. The neighbor of this nation of Israel and the resident aliens who live there with the Israelite people. The neighbors are my folks, my tribe. But he has to ask who the neighbor is because the person doing good and kindness in the story is not part of the tribe. What the heck is that Samaritan doing in that story? Samaritans were no good, dirty, rotten scoundrels who took a very pure religion and mixed it with a bunch of stuff that the Israelites couldn't abide. And so the man has to say, who is the neighbor? Because it can't be a Samaritan. He's not part of my tribe. And yet that's exactly who it is. See, the church gets all caught up in stuff. Are you baptized? Have you been confirmed? Do you have the right credentials to be married? Are we going to bury you out of here? What cemetery do you get to go to? Drew, am I right? You get that stuff about what cemetery you get to go to? Are you, are you Catholic enough to go to the Catholic cemetery or Jewish enough to go to the Jewish cemetery? I read one guy who said, I've been 30 years in ministry. I've never once seen a place where if I came down with the rules that the church says I'm supposed to have about baptism and confirmation and membership and marriage and burial, did I end up with somebody who, was, who didn't have hurt feelings? Because we think the neighbor ought to be part of our tribe. Fellas, if we're Christians, our tribe is so big, you can't even imagine who your neighbor is. It's why we stand up here at communion and say, all those who believe in Jesus are welcome at this table. You don't have to be baptized anymore. We said that a century ago. We don't say it anymore. just have to believe. And once you know what Jesus has done for you, then you know to be grateful. And out of gratitude, you share Christ's kindness with others. I think that's the more in the story of the Good Samaritan. Thanks be to God. Amen.